Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's a pleasure to have you. There's lots going in the world today with the crazy digital revolution taking place. Uh, it seems that at least in the U.S., the world's starting to begin to emerge a little from the COVID cocoon. Lots of good things happening there. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, the business world has continued to cook along as it, uh, it just seems to be moving in new directions, you know, breaking into new ground, doing new things, innovating relentlessly. So much of that around what's happening in the digital and data world. So we are delighted to have back one of our top monthly guests, Sean Amirati. Sean is a uh, professor at the business school at Carnegie Mellon, where he helps big companies think like little companies and helps young entrepreneurs think like business people. Sean's a serial entrepreneur himself. He's a venture capitalist. He's an author and he's a podcaster. So Sean, it's great to have you. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Always fun to be here. Thanks, Bob. Did I miss anything, Sean? No, I think that's it. That's Triathlete. it. But yeah, yeah. Well, not a good one, but recreationally, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Wonderful. So, Sean, you uh, you have been you know way out in front on some of this thing about right with that that giant company up in Seattle, and I don't mean Microsoft, but the the Amazon company. And for a while, you've just been scratching your head and saying, "What in the world are they doing? How can they keep this AWS company locked up in here when there's so much value on the outside?" So, uh, Sean, given the events of the last few days, what do you think? Yeah, so I, you know, I think we have to say that that maybe I was thinking about this all wrong, which uh, that's you know I've said for a long time, right? These predictions are as fun to help you think about things as they are actually for accuracy. Um, but for two years in a row, so we, once at you know at the end of 2019 and at the end of 2020, we recorded predictions for 2020 and 2021, and for 2020, I predicted Amazon would spin AWS. That was wrong. And then we doubled down on that prediction again in December of 2020 for a 2021 prediction. And it's funny, you said, which of these are you the most confident in? And I said, definitely Amazon spinning <laughs> AWS. And the logic is obvious, right? Like, you know, if you're Walmart or you're Kohl's or you're you know, many industries as Amazon continues to have a wider and wider purview, you know, including healthcare companies today with, you know, Amazon getting into health insurance, right? In all these different verticals. Uh, do you really want to be sending a check to your competitor? And, and these are meaningful checks for your infrastructure as a service or for your, your cloud platform. And, and the answer is obviously no. Uh, and so for me, it just makes tons of sense for AWS to be a, a standalone entity. Um, but, you know, in the, the twists and turns that our tech communities and, and our tech leadership, uh, we saw that AWS just promoted its CEO to be the CEO of all of Amazon and that, that Jeff Bezos will move up to be executive chairman. Uh, which brings to maybe we've been thinking about this all, all wrong point. I, I, I'm now beginning to wonder if Amazon won't spin AWS, but will AWS spin this little retail, this, this sort of annoying retail part of their business called Amazon e-commerce at some point in the next 11 months. So I remain confident that these entities are worth more separate than they are together. And I think actually from the perspective of Andy, right? He's had to be on the front lines dealing with really the unforced errors of churn that come from 
companies realizing that they're funding a competitor in the AWS world. He's now in the CEO, CEO seat, not just the CEO of AWS seat. And so I continue to believe that it probably makes sense for them to make the argument that the parts are greater than the sum here, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, folks, including students of mine who go make a career on Wall Street and basically learn how to say synergy in windowless conference rooms and make the argument that the, the parts are worth uh, greater as a sum than they are as parts. I think what we have in the case of Amazon and AWS is that the parts are worth greater than the sum. And I still believe it makes sense to have these be two separate entities, but certainly an amazing development over the last few days at Amazon um, around that. And also I think just more generally, just what a recognition that how valuable AWS is to the overall Amazon company, right? There are a lot of different uh, places that you could have imagined uh, promotions into the CEO chair when the, the force of nature that that Jeff Bezos really is decides to, to take a step up and move into the executive chairman role and, and do a number of of interesting kind of special projects and the things that that a title like that provides you to do. But I think tapping, you know, his former chief of staff, um, who then spun up this this incredibly meaningful unit within Amazon of AWS is a is a really interesting recognition of how important how strategic AWS really is to the overall company. Well, Sean, I still think you're terrific at fortune telling at crystal ball and seeing the future. This that is pretty crazy. And I love how you 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 twist that around. It's like maybe AWS is going to say, hey, you know what, uh, this retail thing, everybody's doing it. There, there's there's no big motor on that, but what we're doing is is different. Sean, I think I saw in the uh, Amazon financial results that AWS for the fourth quarter, and I think it was also the whole year, kind of for 12% of Amazon's revenue. So to your point there, at the end of what you were saying, here you've got, it is by no means the biggest part of the company. In fact, of the three units that they report on, it is by far the smallest, yet up he goes into the top spot. And... Um, recognizing that technology's got plays a part in every business but as you said as amazon moves more and more into a wider range of fields you've got to have somebody up there who's able to see a very big picture and like you said there's got tons of great high level talent at the company and bezos picked jassy that that's pretty wild i agree and i think it's interesting too um just to double down one moment on how andy got involved in the company right there's this thing increasingly popular role that you see high growth companies adopt and sort of adopted. It's not that they invented it, but bringing this role in much earlier to organizations of these chief of staff roles, uh -huh. right? And, you know, um, Reed Hoffman, who most of your audience will know, was, was an early proponent in the tech community of the importance of putting a chief of staff in the executive suite who could help the CEO and some of the other senior leaders do that. And that was really how Andy Jassy got his introduction to Amazon. He literally just shadowed Jeff Bezos everywhere, taking notes, following up on action items, you know, sort of being this force multiplier on Jeff Bezos's time, right? And I think it, for his perspective, and I have a number of my MBA students who go and take these roles in different companies. I think the interesting thing is shadowing a CEO in this sort of apprentice-like model is just an incredible way to learn 
the culture, learn the management style, learn the tools and techniques, right? And then he jumps into this really meaty project, um, which ultimately doesn't work out, then jumps into AWS, which obviously uh, becomes a, a, a behemoth within, within the company. And to your point, s- small on a revenue basis, um, but I would argue like strategically punches way above the 11% range, right? So it's just, it's really interesting. It's gonna be, a, it's gonna be an interesting year um, I think we said that at the beginning of last year and we didn't have any idea what we were saying. Hopefully this is an interesting year on the business front. And, and as you said, we're less so on the health and, and some of these, these other fronts, yeah. hopefully we're on the downside of that, but it's going to be really fascinating to watch, um, how Amazon shakes out with this new leadership structure for sure. Sean, can I ask since you brought up the thing about the, this emerging significance of the chief of staff role, if I was the a chief operating officer at a company and the CEO picked a dynamo young chief of staff, should I be worried or nervous? Say, hey, you know, isn't that my job to make sure that what you lay out gets done? So, so I think they're different. I think they're different roles, right? And, and you know, a lot of people draw upon like in you know, you've, you've, if you, even if you don't know much about politics, probably watching like West Wing and stuff, you've seen this chief of staff in the executive branch of government, right? And the idea is that they're not, I think of a COO as the person who runs the operations of the business. And if I'm the CEO, I'm saying to my COO, I don't want you in every meeting with me, right? I want you in meetings without me making the trains run on time, mm-hmm. fixing operational problems, making sure our supply chain works well, making sure reporting data analytics are, are in line, right? I, there's a bunch of, you know, sort of internal operational things that I want you to take care of. I, I need to sort of straddle the line between that and the external things. And what I'm doing with this chief of staff is I'm putting somebody who can effectively just be a force multiplier on my time. So I don't think of it as a competitor competitor with the COO, the way I think about it and what, you know, I've now, this, this role has been increasingly popular since Reed started blogging about it. And I think demonstrated some good success with it. As I've watched my students go and take these roles, what you tend to see them do is it's a, it's kind of a 18 to 24 month rotational position, right? Like you, you do it for 18 to 24 months. And towards the back end of that, you start looking at interesting projects and then jump into one of them. So maybe it's a product management role for something more innovative. Maybe it's it's more of a you know transformational initiative within the company. Um, maybe it's maybe it's just a, a GM of a business unit. But it's it's sort of like you don't typically stay at the C-suite after that. You typically move down the organization, but to something where instead of your purview is kind of a force multiplier on somebody else's time, it's like you are now driving that initiative within the organization. All right. All right. And Sean, I wanted to ask you one other thing about, you know, as you've reflected here, some on students in your class moving into these sorts of roles and also, you know, sometimes the sort of the cliche of uh, MBA students sitting in a windowless conference room learning how to say synergy about everything. A company where I used to work, one of the family members of the the family that owned the company he loved to say this and i think he had a quote he had to say it at least six times a day which is we have to make sure two and two doesn't equal four two and two equals five and uh i don't know am i missing something there sean because that that drove me crazy that's That's the advanced version of saying synergy, Bob. See, when you add some numbers to it, it's amazing. It's amazing what you could do. 
let me translate that for our friends at Amazon right now. <laughs> two and two doesn't equal five. Two and two doesn't even equal four. Two and two equals like two and a half. And the problem is when two and two is going to equal two, you've got a big problem on your hands, boys. Um, and so, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I do think that this shakeup makes the concept of these two be, being broken apart more likely. But certainly it's hard to imagine Andy becomes the CEO of Amazon and then spins off his baby. So uh, yeah. maybe, maybe the reverse is where we're heading here. John, I'll say one last thing about Andy, Jesse, and Amazon and this whole transition. Um, whoever's going to succeed him as CEO at AWS, I, I mean, the, the track record, the performance of that company has just been astonishing, right? You know, category creator, the king of it, innovated a lot. But, you, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences, like a lot of people. I have never seen anybody give three-hour keynotes where by like, minute 50 or 60 the room's half empty two, you know two hours into it there's hardly anybody and there'd be a lot of people who'd say what are you doing you know nobody will possibly stay through that but he managed to turn something unheard of that i think a lot of people would be afraid of but he turned it into a real event within the event which is what the heck is he going to talk about for two and a half or three hours that it's rather remarkable for a CEO to be able to get in there, but I think it was part of that magic he created within AWS. I, I think that's a great example. And I think on that level, you're, he's borrowing from consumer tech, right? Like, you know, there is a, there is another company, uh, you know, little South of them and Cupertino that, that, has been doing those kind of keynotes for a long time, right? But to do that in the enterprise tech space, right? In in some ways, it's a continuation of this consumerization of of IT in terms of consumerization of messaging and things like that. But I think to your to your meta point, whoever takes that role, um, and I don't think that's been announced yet. If it has, I I missed it. But um, whoever takes that role, I think there's there's two things that are true, right? One an incredible, I mean, career defining opportunity, right? I mean, you really have the chance to shape arguably one of the most, if not the most important industries for the next three to four years from a, from a business perspective, again, to be clear, I've said many times, nobody wants a business school's perspective on epidemiology. So I understand there are more important issues in the world at large than cloud computing. But in terms of business and how people deliver value to customers and make money, it's hard to think of a more important industry than the cloud computing industry, right? And I think Andy's successor has an amazing opportunity to figure out how you go from where they are to where they want to be. Because um, it, it's an incredible story along all dimensions, but we all know Wall Street values growth, not just results. And one of the things that's just true in, in business in general is the law of large numbers. It gets hard to continue to grow the, the bigger and bigger your base becomes as part of what makes uh, Apple, speaking of the, that company, so magical is the, the, the results they've put up on top of amazing bases is, is truly, truly incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sean, so I wanted to ask you about... Um, in some ways, not, not the realm where Amazon started, but you think about 
a company that got into the the tech business by filling a need that its you know original parent Amazon had. Right, we got to crank up for the holiday season, handle the surges of data, create new database tools and technologies that are able to meet these certain needs of us. So there's there's been over the last year certainly or more than a year but it's really come to the surface seems to be in the last few months this thing around cloud databases right. and uh, my good friend contributing editor here at cloud wars john foley is starting a new um, a new property called the cloud database report and one of the things that john in the early stages of this has done he put together 10 really interesting dynamic pieces that have taken place just in the month of january and a couple of those were I think it was Databricks receiving um, Databricks, yeah, with close to a billion dollars in funding, and the, the wonderfully named Cockroach uh, landing 160 million dollars. So, Sean, those are big. Uh, you know, I don't have to. Those are pretty big numbers. So, big what number. is it that people are seeing in this cloud database market that's leading to these, you know, in, incredibly big infusions? Yeah, I mean, Databricks, right, it closed a billion dollars of funding at a $28 billion valuation, uh, which, which I think, just going back to our conversation in December, might make Snowflake look cheap on the public markets all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, Sean, that's a great point. And that, that uh, reminds me, I want to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's an interesting... It's interesting to watch how fast this is evolving, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think that that what you're seeing in general, and we've talked about the strategic importance of data and turning data infer into information and insights and the machine learning and data science and, and analytics that are required to do that, right? And I think even just your uh, even just your recognition within the Cloud Wars platform to, to create this vertical around the importance of, of data and the strategic kind of impetus behind that, right? Like that, that's because I think of, of exactly this, this horizontal trend across industries, right? Which is okay, good, we're, we're able to, to create a, a data lake or a data swamp depending on, on how good the project goes, but we're able to create a data something. Uh, we can aggregate this now, let's drive insights from it. And I think if you sort of look at where this market goes from here, it's going to be really important to drive business value from these data projects, right? And there's a bunch of vendors competing with it. Um, in the same time where I said Amazon will definitely spin AWS this year, uh, I did mention that I was 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 fairly confident uh, that the Cloud Wars 10, top 10 would have Snowflake in it by the end of the year. Uh, I didn't realize IBM was going to make that such an easy prediction, but you know, I d it, it I do feel good now that the Cloud Wars nine is missing a tenth, and <laughs> and uh, and and Snowflake should should come jump right in there and, and fill that spot. But it's the same thing, right? It's just this is a really important, really really important topic, and in the same way that Amazon's revenue is a small percent of the total market, but 
of the of their total revenue. It's eleven percent of their total revenue, but it's strategically a really important percent of that revenue. So it kind of punches above its weight. I would argue that what you're going to see in the next twelve months is that aggregating data and driving business insights behind that, while still a small part of the overall cloud market from a revenue perspective, from an enterprise value perspective, and from a what are the what are the C-suite talking about? It's going to to drive a disproportionate amount of attention and enterprise value over the next twelve months. Yeah, and Sean, within that, you know, there's the the rising, you know, the young stars here that are coming up. You've mentioned a couple of them. John Foley with his cloud database report is, you know, going to have a, a list of probably about twenty companies. I think he's actually going to rank the top ten. Uh, in which he thinks most important. So you have in some ways incumbents like Oracle and Oracle is looking at all these specialized database players and Oracle sort of, you know, the same thing. They got a whole lot of chips. They're pushing them all into the middle of the table and said, we think the converged approach, you know, the one database that does everything you could ever want is going to handle it all and betting against the other guys who are saying, no, no, no digital businesses are going to need one sort of database for this and one for this and one for this. So do you have thoughts, Sean, on this, uh, this looming battle here about the, the database strategy, you know, all in one versus built uh, purpose built? Yeah. So I think, I mean, so I think it's a really interesting technology question, but I think it's, it's respectfully like the wrong question that actually drives the the decision right so to me um is it 21 or 22c it's 20 some number c that is oracle's converged database right it's 20 something but anyways like with that strategy right which i think is interesting like to me like that's that's like the features but not the benefits conversation i used to to work with a guy in one of my early startups um in sales and, and every day he would walk in and he would say the same thing. This is sort of his two plus two equals five quote. He would every day remind me, he'd say, Sean, every year, millions of people go to Home Depot to buy drill bits. Nobody wants a drill bit. What they want is a hole, right? To me, like a conversation about 21C is all, you know, and, and is this gonna be confers or is this gonna be fragmented or are we gonna do best breed? Like at some point in the conversation that becomes really important. But that becomes really important in the sort of how are we going to do it? I think that what you're going to see is you're going to see CEOs basically have their own version of that conversation with their IT groups, which is, I, I don't really care which kind of drill bit you need, but we better actually start drilling some holes to make these conversations we've been having for years and the money I've been spending on building a data mode or building a data lake or building a data swamp or building a data data or whatever the case may be, right? I, I wanna start getting business value from it. Now, if I were Oracle, and this is reckless speculation from the outside, right? There's, I'm sure there's a lot I don't know and I have friends there who, who may tell me, you don't know what you're talking about afterwards, that's fine. But if I were Oracle, right? I'd stop talking about that and I'd start talking about, hey, we've been your business partner for years we've spun up vertical solutions that can deliver business value, whether you're in healthcare IT or you're in retail or you're in whatever. And, and our expertise versus uh, Cockroach Labs or, or so is that we have this holistic view of how your business works. And we've been doing this for years, guys. Like this is not new for us. 
we started with the world's greatest relational database from our perspective. They probably would leave that last part out, but the world, I mean, this is Oracle. So they'd say the world's greatest relational database. And they put you on a, a private plane with Jeff or with, uh, with Larry Ellison to actually deliver that message, but the world's greatest, right? And then we built an ERP package on top of that, right? And look at what that did for Oracle. And then we helped you have the same business. Like, like the problem, the, the, the value proposition at the C-suite was not a great relational database. The value proposition at the C-suite is we can take that data and change how your business runs to make it better, faster, allow you to delight customers in new ways. And we've gotten to a point, we've been talking about this for a while, where all of a sudden this one horizontal solution doesn't work. It's the, it's the vertical stacks on top of it. And I think Oracle's well positioned there, but I would, I would, I would, you know, again, and I'm not saying there aren't people doing this, but I hear more and more about the how Oracle's approaching that and less and less about the why and the strategy behind it and the benefits you get from it. And, and just again, respectfully from the outside looking in, I think, I think that's the, that's the wrong conversation. You know, the companies that I invest in are much smaller, but I, I wouldn't even want to talk to my CEOs about which data approach they're going to want to take. Right. I want to talk to my CEOs about how are they going to use the investments we're making to to deliver more revenue, to delight our customers more, to save money, all of these kinds of problems. And I think Oracle has a great story there, as do some other people in the space. But it, uh, it just feels like um, it feels like they've gotten caught up in letting somebody else drive the narrative, which is, and again, this is just from where I sit, but it's actually quite surprising given the history and the acumen that that team has around these topics. Um, one of the things I think that's that's really interesting when you think about kind of strategically how different players in a market talk about it is if you can control the narrative and you can get people talking about the narrative in the way that you want to, right? Then you can kind of frame for your customers how they're going to evaluate these options and then use that framing to make sure that you win, right? So, um, you know, if you think about uh, athletic shoes, to so make this not a tech example, right? If, if Nike can frame the conversation in a certain way so that people are like, oh, I, you know, I really need, you know, this, this running shoe that allows me to run a four minute marathon, even though, you know, I can't run a 12, you know, I can't run a, or I can't run a, or sorry, a two hour marathon. I, but even though I can't even run a four hour marathon, right? Like, like, but if they can change that, then I'm walking into the running store and I'm like, well, I want a running shoe with a, a carbon plate in it. Like the guy who broke that, right. Because, because Nike has driven that conversation around that. I think with a lot of these, with a lot of these kind of new companies entering the data market, they're doing a great job kind of framing the conversation one way. And you're seeing some of the legacy companies sort of take the bait and, and respond. And, it, and it's crazy because like, look, a billion dollars of capital on a $28 billion valuation is a lot, but that's still tiny relative to the established companies on your data list. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, uh, it's, it's a great point. And um, I know uh, I was looking at it from not, the, the features of the database converge versus these purpose built, but to achieve the new uh, desired business outcomes in the digital world, are we getting to a point where those, uh, you know, various purpose built ones can do it? But I, I think you make a great point there. 
I wanted to also say, you know, about the way that companies position and frame themselves. I saw something the other day about an event uh, that Oracle's doing. I think it's in the middle of this month, February 15th, maybe. But one of the speakers they had listed, there was a guy named Rob Tarkov, who's an executive vice president. And up until, I would say, two or three days ago, Rob Tarkov was the executive vice president for Oracle's CX business. Mm-hmm. But the title they had listed for him for this February 15th event is, I think it is vice president of advertising and CX. So in Larry Ellison's last live thing where he and Rob Tarkov had a fireside chat, Larry was going through all the stuff that CX could do. He said, our thing, he said, you know, everybody else's helps managers manage pipeline. He said, our CX stuff actually helps you sell more. And as he was going through that, he said, then the buyer gets this. Well, we are able with our application to spin up an ad that pops up in front of them. So um, I believe this is true unless, unless I dreamed this and I'm substituting this for reality. But so in a matter of a couple of weeks, you know, Larry also says, Rob, your title should be advertising in CX because that's where this thing is headed. That's where the money and the opportunity is going to be. So I think you're absolutely right when uh, you describe this notion of, and I, I think sometimes a Gulliver and the Lilliputians and, you know, tying ropes around somebody because, yeah, if, if, if you choose to be defined by the other person's narrative, then I, either shame on you or go ahead. You, you chose the game, play by, play by the rules of that game. Don't complain about it. That's right. Well, it's, it's actually what's really fun about working with startups in general, right, is you know, whether it's a corporate startup or a traditional startup, like you can get in and you can kind of redefine the landscape and, and then watch how that, how that yeah. allows you to get new customers. But, um, but it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, I've known John for, for a long time. It's really awesome to have him part of the, the Cloud Wars platform and, and drilling into this important topic over um, the future here. Sean, thank you. Thank you. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, so, uh, living in the Northeast as I do, I, I, I don't want to ask this because we've been friends a long time. I will ask it. How is the weather in Florida? <laughs> it's, it's cold today for Florida. It's, you know, it's a cold 58 here. Uh, 58. Uh, so, yeah. You're going to be yeah. okay. I, I, you see, I have a sweatshirt on to try to, <laughs> to try to make it through here, but, but yeah. All right. All right, Sean, I'm sending along all the sympathy you deserve for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh, Sean, as always, it's a blast talking with you. You've got such good, you know, uh, insights on things in the future. So you heard it here first, everybody. Sean Amirati says that AWS will spin out Amazon (laughs) in this coming year. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Sean, thanks a million. Folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We look forward to seeing you next time.